Hey everybody, this is the United Squid Podcast. I'm Cyrus, and we have a lot to talk about today. First, we need to discuss a poor town in Texas that's recently been terrorized by an evil squirrel. In fact, the evil squirrel has already sent two mothers to the hospital. Now, squirrels have long been known as nature's petty criminals, often stealing bird seed from feeders and getting their muddy paw prints all over freshly washed car windows. I remember many people complaining about this back when I lived in Kansas, how evil squirrels were, what a menace they were to society. But one squirrel in the cozy Texas neighborhood of Cypress has graduated to outright physically attacking helpless victims. Again, sending at least two women to the hospital so far. Now, while the squirrel's antics were initially seen as innocent and playful by local residents, things took a quick turn for the worst after a woman tried to dissuade the bushy-tailed bully from tearing the screen off her front door. So this woman says, When I stepped outside the door, he leaped on me and bit my arm. I pulled him off, threw him to the ground, and tried to get in the house. But I couldn't get in the house because he came back. And he bit this leg, she said. And she's pointing to this nasty-looking scar on her leg. This is coming from uh, a woman named Charlene French Amesquita. And she's talking to KPRC News. Now, later that day, she received stitches for those wounds at a local hospital. But the squirrel wasn't finished with his rampage yet. He went on to attack another woman Katie Herrera. She said that uh, they usually don't go outside in the daytime anymore because that's when the squirrel comes out. He comes out in the daytime. Herrera also added that it's scary, but she's grateful that it just attacked her and not her children. And unfortunately, animal control and even the Texas Parks and Wildlife Services have said that they can't actually do anything about the squirrel unless it's been trapped. So until that happens... This poor town in Texas has no other choice but to live in the dark shadow cast by this evil squirrel and wonder who will be its next victim. And in moments like these, we need heroes. We need someone like Iron Man. And speaking of Iron Man, our favorite Marvel actor, Robert Downey Jr., was recently on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he even discussed Iron Man and whether or not he wants to return to the character or maybe reboot the franchise uh, in the future. Now, Joe is really pushing Robert Downey Jr. to do this. He's saying, hey, you now have all these time travel storylines that you could use to bring the character back after Endgame. But it doesn't seem like Robert Downey Jr. is really feeling it. He said, to me, starting up again is off the table. I feel like I've done all I could with that character. There'd have to be a super compelling argument and a series of events that made it obvious to do it. But the other thing is, I want to do other stuff. Okay, so that's all a very understandable, although I'll say many, many times we've seen this in the past where actors have said that they don't want to reboot a character or return to reprise a role. Like Harrison Ford famously never wanted to return to Han Solo after Star Wars, but he did come back for the, for the uh, sequel trilogy. And, you know, I could go count many, many times where actors have said that they're not interested in resurrecting a character. But lo and behold, eventually they get talked into it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's out of the question, but I don't think we're going to see it happen for a while, at least. Although with Robert Downey Jr.'s latest movie called Doolittle, 
not performing very well at the box office. In fact, it's outright being called a box office bomb. He might want to return to Iron Man sooner rather than later if uh, if that track record that Doolittle's setting keeps up. I think Marvel can continue to make some new movies with some fresh blood, but eventually we're going to need the epic return of Iron Man. Just like recently there was some epic wedding photos taken in the Philippines. That's right, not even an active volcano could stop this couple from getting married because a mere 10 miles away from the eruption in the Philippines, Chino and Kat Vavlar said their vows. Now, the couple's wedding was planned well in advance before anyone knew that the volcano was going to erupt, and photographer Randolph Evan captured the jaw-dropping images as the couple kissed with smoke-ridden lava and plumes of ash ominously swelling in the background. The photographer said everyone was actually nervous because while working, they kept on checking social media for updates on the volcanic eruption, and they were actually aware of the warnings and escalating levels that were being announced at the time. But luckily, everyone stayed calm, and neither the newlyweds nor their guests were harmed. Even better, they all walked away with some amazing pictures and once-in-a-lifetime memories. And some of you might have already seen video of this volcanic eruption that went on in the Philippines. And a lot of it was kind of terrifying. If you really look at it, it looks like the stuff out of nightmares because... Most of the videos that you've seen are coming at dusk, and so it's it's kind of dark, and there's even lightning striking down from the skies into this swirl of smoky ash that's just bellowing out of this volcano. And it looks terrifying, but at the same time, when you see the wedding photos, and it's, you know, 10 miles away off in the distance, it's actually quite cool. And you can check out the photos at unitedsquid.com. One of the only things that might be even more amazing than this is a story about a gamer who saved her online friend from across the world in real time as it happened. And so basically it was a woman, uh, she's a gamer from Texas, and she saved her UK friend who is also a gamer. And it all started when they were playing online together when Aiden Jackson from Cheshire was chatting with Dia Lathora from Texas, and he began to feel a little funny. So then he went to lay down in his bedroom, but he kept the microphone close by his side. And after a while, it became obvious to Dia that Aiden wasn't just suffering from a normal headache. So from 5,000 miles away, she immediately called emergency services in the UK. And uh, you can listen to the call. Her voice was trembling as she spoke to the responder over the phone. But luckily, she was able to keep calm and provide Jackson's address. And soon, an ambulance arrived at the house. His parents were caught totally off guard. They were completely surprised by this. And Aiden's mother even said that they initially told the police, hey, everything's fine. You know, this is a false alarm. Nobody called. But the police were adamant. They said, hey, We know nobody at the property called, but someone from the U.S. called. We got a call from overseas saying that there is someone in the house suffering from a seizure, which sure enough, that was what was going on. And the cops were able to get into the house and were able to get Aiden into an ambulance and directly to a hospital. I mean, it's just amazing. And one thing I love about this story is that it kind of flies in the face of this idea that online friends aren't real, like they're not real friends because... I understand where that mindset comes from, but I I really feel like, you know, it's such a complicated discussion and we might need to have a whole podcast dedicated to this topic. In some ways, I think it's good to keep a perspective when you're dealing with things online 
and you know not get too carried away with it or be like hey just because you saw something online doesn't mean it's true doesn't mean it's real all right on the other hand you you should treat a lot of things that happen online as though they're real before you accept friend requests from strangers you need to ask yourself if this person was walking up to me and talking to me at the grocery store would i respond you know would i invite them into my house right so there is an aspect of our minds where we kind of acknowledge the real threat that comes from the internet at the same time we have this idea that hey if you're just playing with friends online or if you've known somebody for years online or you've been pen pals that's not a real friend uh i i would push back on that notion and this this kind of proves it because as far as i know these two people never met each other but she still was able to save his life even from an ocean away because she cared about him and she noticed that he was suffering from a seizure and she was she had the wherewithal to contact the proper authorities and luckily they had exchanged contact information because she was able to provide them with an address so i'll just say always choose your friends wisely whether it's online or offline but uh by all means if if you're antisocial or you just don't have the, the you just don't have the ability to make friends in the real world obviously i would in general suggest you try to get out there and, and make some real friends but at the same time you know, online friends are totally legit. And, and the story of these gamers just proves it. Speaking of gamers, a lot of gamers in the past loved shopping at GameStop, myself included. Now, not always, to be fair. I have a lot of uh, horror stories from experiences at GameStop as well. I, okay, this is off topic, but I, I still remember I had a bad experience at GameStop when I was 10 years old, but I'm not going to get into that one. That's a long story. The more recent experience that I recall was actually quite a while back. And uh, I went to GameStop on the release day of The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword for the Wii, which I had pre-ordered at GameStop. And uh, I was there because I wanted to get the special edition that had the special Wii controller, the, the golden Zelda controller. And dude, I was there. Not only had I pre-ordered this game, I don't remember exactly what time the store opened, if it was 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, but I was there 10 minutes before the store opened. And then I walked up to the store right at, right as, you know, the, the clock struck 9 o'clock or whatever. And the, the, the times were clearly listed on the store, on the, on the door as well. It was right, it was time. It was opening hour, and I had to get to work that morning. I had, like, called in sick, you know, so I was going to take off the first two hours or so of work. I had made up some BS reason, you know, to take off the morning shift. And I was going to have to come in late and, and work extra to make up for those hours. This was not on my day off, necessarily. I, I'd taken time out explicitly for this purpose, to get this game that I had pre-ordered from GameStop. And I was there, not only on time, but ahead of time. And the clock struck 10. And so I went up to the door, pushed it, but it was locked. I was like, what? And there was a guy inside just sitting there behind the counter. And uh, he looked up and made eye contact at me. And I smiled, you know, politely. Like, hey. And I don't recall if I waved. I'm sure I probably did. And he just, uh, you know, looked up at me, kind of glanced over at me. And then just nonchalantly glanced back down at whatever the heck he was looking at at the time. And I just stood there awkwardly. 
And then I tapped on the door and he just walked to the back of the store. He just kind of went back to the employees only area, ignored me. (laughs) And it was like five minutes past opening the opening hour. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's strange. And then I went back out to my car and I waited and I waited and it was getting like, I'd waited 20 minutes in my car, 25 minutes total. If you include the time that I had, you know, walked up to the door and the guy still wasn't opening the door. And I even called that GameStop location and the guy picked up the phone and I was like, hey, uh, I'm outside right now and I just pre-ordered, you know, Skyward Sword. So he just hung up the phone on me and then I called back. He didn't answer. You know, I called that specific location. And, uh, dude, I was so angry. So I went, I just drove off and tried to go to another GameStop. And they told me that I I had to pick it up at the GameStop that I had pre-ordered it at. You know, which was the GameStop that wasn't opening their doors. And, uh, you know, I I ended up not getting the game that day. Because I was like, I'm not going back there. I I have to drive 25 minutes just to get back there. The guy didn't open the door for me. You know, the store should already be open. I even called and they were saying, hey, we can't help you because you got to pick it up at the location that you pre-ordered it at. And long story short, I took off that time from work that morning for nothing. I didn't get the game for no reason. It was never explained to me why that guy just didn't open the door. He just had a bad attitude. So although I appreciate the experience usually of shopping physically i prefer to buy physical copies of games to this day i mean i don't care where i get the game if i order it online or what i try as hard as i can to to buy the physical copies of games even though i know it's a pain in the butt to constantly have to stand up and put the games inside of the console and um some people might claim it's outdated and you know if disaster strikes my, my game is not saved in the cloud it's gone you know so I get it why people like to go digital, but for whatever reason, I like having a physical copy. I like the chance that the game might appreciate in value over time, and I could be able to sell it later. Um, so I do have a huge digital library of games too. Don't get me wrong. Whenever the the eShop or the PlayStation Store has sales that are you know it's like five dollars for like a AAA title, sometimes you know a AAA title that I never got around to. I, I occasionally bite, you know, and I, on the PlayStation 3, I had a huge library of digital games because they they were selling the classic PlayStation games for like sometimes three or five dollars a pop. And, you know, at that time, I just thought, wow, I can play it anytime and it's only like five bucks. Sure. So I, I, I do dip into digital sales occasionally, but overall, I try to buy physical copies. And I understand why people like having the, the experience of going to a physical store. But I just want to say, GameStop has left a bad taste in a lot of shoppers' mouths. Month by month, year by year, GameStop's future looks more and more uncertain. And it looks even more uncertain recently after the abysmal holiday sales report came out. So usually over Christmas, that's a lot of stores' best time. The Christmas season is the is like the last hurrah of the year where a lot of stores report their highest sales. That didn't happen last year for GameStop. 
and their share prices have dropped 16.3%. This is after GameStop already took drastic measures to cut costs because last year, you'll remember, they had massive layoffs at GameStop and they closed lots and lots of stores nationwide because they, they had hoped to gradually manage their way back to profitability and more importantly, back to relevance, You know, even in light of consumer trends not going in that direction. But after the after the low holiday sales, a lot of investors are not really feeling it. They're not they're not confident in GameStop's future. In the holiday quarter alone, GameStop's net sales fell to a worse than expected 25.7%. That's an even bigger drop than similar physical store sales, which fell 23.2% overall. So GameStop's fallen at least 2% farther than the average for all brick and mortar stores. And the total haul for the quarter ended at $1.44 billion, which is a far cry from the $1.62 billion that analysts were predicting after the drastic cuts GameStop took to its overhead last year. Now, a lot of you say, hey, $1.44 billion, that sounds like a lot of money. When you put it side by side with $1.62 billion, Maybe that doesn't sound like a big difference, but when you really get into the nitty gritty, when you're doing the cutthroat analysis, you have to acknowledge that's a huge sum of money and you're not even hitting your target by a large margin. Now, the GameStop CEO, George Sherman, said that they were already expecting challenging sales environments for the holiday season and they said that a lot of customers are delaying purchases because they're waiting for the new consoles to launch later this year, like, you know, PlayStation 5. Although it is interesting to note that they said they did see growth in the Nintendo Switch platform. So apparently those sales are up on the Nintendo side of things. I digress. I think he chose a weird, a weird thing to blame talking about the PlayStation 5. I think the reason he went down that route is because if he totally just said we're, we're losing to to digital games, then that would that would that would be an even bigger blow to investor confidence, you know, because that ain't going anywhere. That's a long-term problem and that's something that they're going to have to continue to face well 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 into the future as far as competition from online gaming and people who strictly buy games digitally. But uh, if you choose to go down the route of, oh, people are delaying their purchases because they're saving up for the consoles that will be released in late 2020, that helps you save face a little bit. Because number one, you are reminding investors that the consumers will buy those consoles later. And who are they going to buy those physical consoles from? Well, GameStop wants you to believe that they're going to buy them from GameStop. So they want to play down any concerns that, that it's lost customers. They're just saying, hey, we didn't lose them. They're just temporarily taking a break. And next holiday season, we're going to have a bunch of sales for these consoles that are coming out later. And another thing that it helps them with is consoles only release every once in a while. We don't get a new console every year. So it makes the problem seem smaller than it is. It makes it seem more temporary than it is. You know, it makes it seem like you know once we get past this next year, Everything's going to be fine after the consoles launch. People are just saving up for that. And so it just seems like a temporary problem. So I, I don't buy his reasoning. I think the digital sales are a much bigger problem and competition from places like Amazon, obviously. But I have to admire his <laughs> strategy. 
it's a good kind of political way to sidestep the real issue and, and simultaneously calm down the investors that you're bleeding. And you have to keep in mind, it really is a bad situation for GameStop because other companies like Blockbuster and Toys R Us posted less dramatic sales losses than GameStop before they went out of business and filed for bankruptcy. So that doesn't mean necessarily that GameStop's fate is sealed, but it doesn't bode well for its future aspects, that it's performing worse than other physical brands, other physical stores that have since gone out of business, basically. Although it is cool to note that they did say that the Nintendo side of things are still growing. And Nintendo itself seems to really be growing because they released an ad recently for their new theme park at Universal Studios in Japan. And I'm telling you, this ad is amazing. You need to go watch it right now. It's just pitch perfect almost. Now, here's the disappointing part of the ad. The disappointing part is it's all like CGI, people running around with the Mario characters at Nintendo World you know, going through Princess Peach's castle and hopping through the warp pipes and everything. So the ad doesn't actually show what the park looks like. It shows a cartoony 3D rendered version of it. Now, the 3D rendered version of it that is in the commercial looks similar to the schematics that I've seen and the photos that we've seen come out of the construction of the park. But I would have liked to have seen some actual parts of the park. You know, I would have actually liked to have seen some physical things that are really in the park. It does kind of give you a mini tour of what to expect from the park. For example, I saw Yoshis in the commercial that were walking alongside these cliffs eating apples. That is based on an actual ride in the park where you get to ride Yoshis around the side of a mountain. There's also a part of the ad that shows you Peach's Castle. Again, that's going to be a big part of the theme park. It's kind of like Universal's way of competing with the iconic castle at Disney World. And then there is a, a segment of the commercial where there's a reference to Mario Kart. And we, we have confirmed that there is going to be a Mario Kart ride at the park. Although I've heard conflicting things about whether it's a physical ride or a VR ride. I think it's going to be a hybrid, kind of like the Star Tours ride for Star Wars at Disneyland. Or the Simpsons ride at Universal. So I think you're going to physically get into a cart, but it's not going to be like a go-kart ride. I think it'll, it probably will be like a VR experience inside a physical ride, but whatever. There's a lot of references inside the ad to actual rides that you'll see at the park when it launches. And also, the ad is a music video, more or less. There's a song that's performed by some artists called Galantis and Charlie XCX. Which is, again, it's a fine song. It's really kind of modern and, and it pops nicely and all that. But I might have liked to have heard the Jump Up Superstar song from Super Mario Odyssey. Which I know some people would have complained is lazy. They'd be like, ah, oh, you're just reusing a song that we've already heard before. But I don't know. I think it would have been nice. I hope they do another ad with that Jump Up Superstar. Because that, that is much catchier. The song that we get in the ad is something like, Baby, I'm born to play. You know, I, I, don't, I remember parts of it, but... I would have preferred a better song, <laughs> sorry. It's fine, but it's fine. And it is cool that we get a glimpse of these like digital wristbands that connect to an app on your smartphone for the theme park when you enter, how they interact with, with this Nintendo World app on your smartphone. I like the direction that Nintendo seems to be going with the theme park in, in Universal Studios. So it did its job of pumping me up, but I, I just, 
I hope they have another ad or a whole series of ads that even takes it a step further and pushes the envelope even more. Now this park's opening in Japan, specifically in Osaka this year, this summer, Nintendo World is also going to be opening up at other Universal Studios locations throughout the world, like Universal Studios Singapore. That's going to be awesome. The Singapore branch really would benefit from this. And also Universal Studios Hollywood and Universal Studios in Florida. I haven't heard any concrete dates for the other locations. I've heard some rumors that the that the Hollywood and, and uh, Florida locations might be opening up in like 2022. 2022 is also when Universal Studios Animation Branch Illumination is going to release their own Super Mario movie. It, it will coincide with that. It's going to be a lot of good synergy going on there, I'm sure. And other headlines, I found a story that's old from 2012, but if you haven't seen it yet, it's still worth checking out, which was this man's emotional reaction in an airport when he sees his wife and kids for the first time in years. I'm telling you, if you go on unitedsquid.com and you go to this article and you watch the video, I'm not going to say that you'll cry, but unless you have no soul, you've, you've got to at least have a lump in your throat as you're watching this. You have a man from Sudan in Africa named Dian, and he thought he was never going to see his wife and two children again. Basically, his three children, because his wife was pregnant at the time with her third child, but she was in Fort Worth, Texas. And he was all the way over in a refugee camp in northern Africa. And their house and their village had been completely torn apart by war. But luckily his wife, Alik, was able to meet up with two moms from Fort Worth, Texas, who attended a place called the Village Church. And they really put the pedal to the metal to try to get this family reunited with their father. And a lot of people told them that it's going to be a miracle if, if this happens because they didn't know if they can locate him or whether or not he can actually fly into the U.S. as a refugee from the refugee camp over there and coordinate it with the proper authorities so that he actually gets sent to the correct city and that he actually can see his kids and da 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 it can also be difficult to get refugee status as a man a lot of times you know women and children are the primary focus for, for good reason but as a man it, you're not going to be put on the fast track you know you're, you're going to be looked at with a little bit more suspicion especially if you're coming from a war-torn region and you're an able-bodied man luckily though as fate would have it this guy really deserved it and he was able to reunite with his family at the airport there in texas when you watch the video i mean he just breaks down in tears when he sees his wife and kids again for the first time in, in years. Imagine it's just been two or three years since you last saw your family and then you get to meet them again. So I highly recommend checking that video out. Now, another emotional story I recommend you check out. And this one also, this almost got me to cry. And it's about a cross-eyed husky that a lot of people bullied, a lot of people teased this dog because they said its face looks like bad taxidermy. And uh, its owner, original owner, was a breeder. They gave it up to a shelter because they thought the dog just looked, they thought it was an ugly dog. They thought it was deformed. And when you see this dog, her name is Jubilee. Again, she's a husky. I think it's endearing. And I've had dogs like this, like with overbites or other things that some people might say is a deformity but it doesn't change the dog's personality and sometimes it just seems like these are some of the sweetest dogs you'll find they really crave your love and attention but this poor husky jubilee 
she had been overlooked so many times from people visiting the shelter looking to adopt a dog. And the shelter administrators were beginning to worry that she might not find a home. So they went on social media to Facebook and they posted on behalf of Jubilee trying to get her some more exposure. And the post said, I came from a breeder who couldn't sell me because he said I was weird looking. Huskies are majestic looking dogs and I don't know why I don't look like them. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <gasps> what is wrong with me? I'm just so emotional now. All right. <clears throat> Get it together, Cyrus. Now, the post was not only effective at going viral, but it also caught the attention of a husband and wife who had previously adopted other Huskies, and they knew right away that Jubilee was the right match for their family. And by Saturday evening that week, Jubilee found her happily ever after. She went home with her two new parents and two Husky siblings. If you check out the story, this Husky looks very happy with her new family and her new fur siblings. So just heartwarming story altogether. That's enough. That's enough of the emotional stuff. Let's get into some kind of controversial stuff. So you may or may not have heard about this new series called Thundercats Roar. Now, when the classic 1980s Thundercats cartoon was first reported to be receiving a reboot series, many animation fans were excited. Because a new Thundercats series meant a new opportunity to pass down a beloved franchise to a younger generation of fans. Sure, the 2011 series was good, but that was nearly a decade ago, so it felt like it would be right to return to the series with a fresh coat of paint. But for some fans, this 2020 interpretation isn't fresh at all. In fact, according to some, the new Thundercats Roar series is nearly indistinguishable from other modern cartoony fare, especially other cartoons coming out of Cartoon Network. Several fans have complained that the reboot's art style is soulless and a mere copy-paste of an art style that's become all too familiar in today's lineup of American animation. And this is not an entirely unfair criticism, because even the biggest animation aficionado you know, could be forgiven for confusing a brief clip of Thundercats Roar for any number of other modern Western cartoons, especially those out of Cartoon Network like Steven Universe or even We Bear Bears or from Crunchyroll you have High Guardian Spice. It's all this kind of hipster art style that seems to have been perfected in Brian Lee O'Malley's classic graphic novel series called Scott Pilgrim. Well, Scott Pilgrim really popularized this kind of style. Now this is not a knock on cartoons like Steven Universe or comics like Scott Pilgrim. You know, many of these have proven themselves worthy of praise and include deep characters and rich storylines that have garnered devoted fan bases for a good reason. But is it fair to point out the similarities in art design? And if so, is that a reasonable thing to complain about? After all, if you look back at the original Thundercats cartoon from the 80s, it could have easily been mistaken for the He-Man Masters of the Universe or She-Ra Princes of Power cartoons back then. Admittedly, Thundercats' original cartoon did have better animation than He-Man, but if you were just glancing at it, they looked, they looked really similar. And in fact, there is a historical precedent for different eras of animation having different styles that define the time period they were made in. In the 1940s and 50s, most commercial animation in the U.S. featured a loose, kind of rubbery, elastic aesthetic that was pioneered by animators like Tex Avery and Chuck Jones. But then later on, in the 60s and 70s, that fluid style of animation began to fade away. 
as cartoons like The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle ushered in an era of UPA-style limited animation that would go on to pave the way for Hanna-Barbera's domination with stylistically similar shows such as The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Yogi Bear, and Scooby-Doo. You know, all of these came out under the Hanna-Barbera banner, and they all look almost identical. The animation style was very cheap, so to speak. Now, you might think it has a certain charm, but make no mistake, if you think anime is cheap, you know, with the, just the mouths flapping, the Hanna-Barbera animation, that limited animation of the time in the, of the 60s and 70s, was ultra cheap. And that wouldn't change until the 1980s when, again, we got the original Thundercats and then He-Man and She-Ra and all that. But the 90s were different. The 90s introduced an age of experimentation in mainstream animation that allowed for many shows to have a distinct style. Matt Groening's The Simpsons looked totally different from Ren and Stimpy, which in turn looked totally different than Rugrats and so on. And sure, there was some design overlap with creators like Craig McCracken of Powerpuff Girls fame and Gindy Tartakovsky of Dexter's Laboratory and Samurai Jack, who ironically were both inspired by Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> but overall, most American cartoons of that era strived to carve out their own individual artistic identity and style. There was no central one-size-fits-all formula. TV animation in the 90s and early 2000s not only allowed animators to broaden their imagination with a variety of different styles, it downright encouraged it. Even when watching the same channel like Fox, there was a distinct artistic difference between animated sitcoms like The Simpsons and King of the Hill. They look completely different. But here we are in 2020, and admittedly, Thundercats Roar does not look as distinct design-wise from its peers in the cartoon media landscape. And if anything, it seems to be a return to the safer, less experimental days before the 90s. Now, is that a bad thing, though? Some have argued that Japanese anime all looks the same, but that doesn't seem to have had a negative impact on creativity. Although, to be fair, most people can tell the difference between Akira Toriyama's Dragon Ball Z and Rumiko Takahashi's Inuyasha. So even anime shows, despite how similar some of them may look, are often more distinct than a lot of animation coming out of the U.S. today. But again, to be fair, Thundercats Roar looks like it's mostly being marketed to a Teen Titans Go demographic, which is not to say that shows meant for younger kids shouldn't have distinct art styles, but if the complaint is mainly driven by a feeling that the new show has lost its rough edges, well, that's kind of the point with this specific show. It's not supposed to have as rough of edges as the original show. This is a kiddie version of that. This is a softer version of the show that you grew up with. And if I'm being honest on a personal level, you know, there's... There's something charming about seeing these characters from the 80s being reimagined in this more cartoony style. And let's be honest, if the writing is any good, this new style could be a great vehicle to introduce the Thundercats lore to a broader audience. And after that, then maybe you can get another grittier version, perhaps even on the big screen, like Transformers got. We also should remember, people complained when Nintendo went for a more cartoony style with The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, 
but in the end there was enough room for that chibi cartoon link and the more realistic looking link on the one hand you know a part of me understands where detractors were coming from and i do worry that we might be going back to those dark days of animation you know before the 90s when everything did look the same i love the animation of the 40s and 50s because those were the pioneers and they really did put a lot more effort into the animation back then like i said it was more fluid so there were more frames per second and uh it was more detailed we kind of went into this minimalistic period, which also had its own charm, but, you know, it just was very stale. And I feel like the 90s was the perfect balance, and now we seem to be regressing, which is a shame. So I get it. I get the detractors, and I, I kind of agree with them on, in a way. But we don't need to constantly be reinventing the wheel, and this need for innovation isn't always necessary. Sometimes consumers and creators alike just need to take a breath. And I understand if they need to return to the safety and familiarity of a consistent art style across several different shows. But um, yeah, I would be upset <laughs> if this trend continues. I hope I hope this is the last show with this art style, at least for the foreseeable future. We've had too many shows now with this kind of art style. Unless you're going to really knock us out of the park with a great script. Which, by the way, I, I've heard negative things about the Thundercats Roar script, so who knows? It probably would have been better received if it wasn't related to the Thundercats brand, so there is that. Uh, since we were on the topic of anime and animation in general, I do want to mention that the anime series Goblin Slayer is getting a movie adaptation, a theatrical movie, as a lot of you already know. But a new trailer for the movie has been released, and it also shows a new character for the movie. Honestly, this looks really good. Now, we already received a teaser last year that showed Goblin Slayer and a lot of the Goblin Slayer characters fighting goblins in, in a blizzard. But th this trailer gives us a better look at the movie, and it's called Goblin Slayer, Goblin's Crown. We do get to see a lot of the classic Goblin Slayer characters, like, of course, Goblin Slayer himself, the Priestess, High Elf Archer, Dwarf Shaman, Lizard Priest, Guild Girl, and Cowgirl. But then we also get a glimpse at the new character, Noble Fencer, as well as a mysterious villain. Again, go on to UnitedSquid.com and check this trailer out because, for me, I, I personally enjoyed it. It reminded me of back in the days of those Inuyasha movies and also of the Slayer series. You know, those movies when they would come out. This just looks like a bigger, better version, like an expanded version of a TV episode. Sometimes those can be kind of boring. Sometimes they can be entertaining. And this one's leaning more towards the entertaining side. <laughs> it's, it looks good. And now a translated synopsis of the movie says, The theatrical version of Goblin Slayer describes a permafrost land that was attacked by goblins. Now the Goblin Slayer and his party are going to rescue a new character imprisoned by goblins in a snowstorm. <laughs> I'm excited to see this happen. Now, Goblin Slayer Goblin's Crown releases on the 1st of February in Japan, and then it goes on to release on February 27th of this year in territories like Taiwan. I'm not sure when we're going to see a Western release of this, but I will say if you watch the trailer for the movie, there is an English voiceover, some English narration. I watched most of 
the Goblin Slayer anime series on TV in Japanese. I don't recall any English narration before. So I'm not sure what the significance of having the English narration is in the trailer. But uh, it does help you kind of understand the movie's tone and what the movie's setting out to do if you watch the ad from a non-Japanese speaking perspective. Either way, that looks exciting. And there's also a new anime series that's been released online for Pokemon. It's a mini-series called Pokemon Twilight Wings. The official Pokemon YouTube channel uploaded the first episode of the miniseries. And I gotta say, it is awesome. Now, it's only six minutes long, but it does pack a lot into its short runtime. And many fan-favorite Pokemon and gym leaders from Sword and Shield make appearances. I don't want to spoil it and say which characters and which Pokemon are in this first mini-episode. I'm just going to say, if you are a Sword and Shield fan, or if you're like me, maybe you're not a huge Sword and Shield fan, but you do like some of the newer Pokemon, and you re- I do like a lot of the characters in Sword and Shield, especially the new gym leaders, you should watch this. And it's not a big time commitment. Again, it's only six minutes long. Here's a synopsis of the first episode. It says, John is a young boy who's been hospital-bound from an early age. Ever since he saw his first Pokemon battle on TV, he's been a big fan of champion Leon, and he's dreamed of watching one of Leon's matches in a stadium. Could a visit from Chairman Rose pave the way for his dreams to come true? Question mark. Of course, you can check it out on UnitedSquid.com or just go to the official Pokemon YouTube channel and look up Twilight Wings. I don't think you'll be disappointed, especially at the quality of the animation here. This is some of the best animation I've seen come out of Pokemon since ever. I mean, I haven't been keeping track of the new Pokemon series for Sword and Shield, the official mainline series, but this animation looks pretty good. I guess the animation in their latest movie, I think it was called Pokemon Power of One or One for All or something. That animation was good too, but this is just really awesome. Uh, Although, I will say, if you are getting older like myself, you have to admit, this is really strictly for kids. I mean, sure, it looks nice and uh, and everything, but this, this mini episode in particular just reminds you that Pokemon is first and foremost for kids (laughs) so don't expect it to be some deep life-changing thing just you know turn off your brain for six minutes and watch it and enjoy the animation now if you are a big pokemon fan like myself you might have heard that pokemon has seen its share of controversy over the past year from slimming down the pokedex library in the latest switch games to the introduction of vmax cards and the pokemon trading card game however one change that again you might have missed recently was posted to the official website of the Pokemon trading card game. They say, moving forward, fairy-type Pokemon will be no more. You're asking yourself, what? How is that possible? So no more Jigglypuff? No more Sylveon? Well, here's the deal. The fairy-type, which was introduced in the XY series, will no longer be supported in the Sword and Shield series. Pokemon that are fairy types in the Pokemon video game series will now generally be represented as psychic type Pokemon in the Pokemon trading card game. They say this is to maintain a balance among types and Pokemon that are poison types in the video games will now be represented as darkness types instead of psychic Look, basically they're slimming down the amount of different types of Pokemon in the card game and for the time being basic fairy energy can still be used in the standard format but they say that might change in the future overall the good news is that this doesn't rule out the possibility of seeing 
your favorite fairy type Pokemon represented in the Sword and Shield expansion. It just means they will no longer be categorized as fairy types. So you don't need to say goodbye to Jigglypuff just yet. And I freaked out when I first saw the headline because, again, I was thinking, oh my god, they're really going to cut that many Pokemon out of the roster because there's so many fairy types that have been in the card game over the years. But the more I read it and understood what it's really doing, I can accept this. And I kind of agree with it because I did think, look, if... (laughs) I think this just simplifies simplifies things because there was just too many types in the card game. It was getting a little top heavy and I think the fairy type is a good place to start cutting back on these types and these different types. It doesn't need to be so needlessly complicated and it gets really annoying if you have a lot of Pokemon that you enjoy but you can't put them in your deck because your deck has too many different types. You know, you're like, oh... I need enough energy. It's like playing Magic the Gathering. You're like, I need land. I need enough energy for all my different Pokemon to do their moves. And if I have too many different types, then I don't have enough energy to go around for each type. I like this in that regard. I just hope it doesn't result in some of my favorite Pokemon being cut from the card game. And so far, it doesn't look like that's the case. I accept their reasoning and I support it, in fact. I just uh, am a little trepidatious. I'm a little nervous (laughs) until I see who all made the cut and who all didn't. If I get to use the same Pokemon, but now they're just under a different umbrella, that's fine as far as I'm concerned. So let me know what you think about the new rules for the Pokemon training card game and about all the stories that we've discussed today, whether it be about cross-eyed huskies or the potential end of GameStop as we know it, or evil squirrels for that matter. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of your favorite social media platforms. It's been real and I will talk to you all later.